reflex of who he is. See, Nehemiah, he was in exile. He was a Jewish man. God's chosen people that even though God picked them, they had decided to use that title for their own arrogance and pleasures. And despite all the times that God gave them opportunity to change their ways and to seek after him, they refused to do so. So in comes the army of Babylon and takes them off into chains. And now Nehemiah finds himself standing in the presence of the king as the king's cupbearer. So let's dig into the text a little bit more. Verses 1 and 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Nehemiah had an interesting job as the cupbearer. You see, the cupbearer's job was to when the wine came to the the wine or whatever drink it was came to the king to for him to drink, Nehemiah's job was to taste it first. Now that doesn't sound so bad most of the time, right? I mean, your job is to taste the king's wine and make sure nothing bad happens. That it's not gonna kill him. And as long as you get a good cup of wine or whatever it is you're drinking. You're going to be just fine. It's not that bad of a job, is it? You, you could find worse jobs in the kingdom. That one wasn't so bad. Of course, so what made it dangerous and made it a bit of a risky job was the fact that one day you might not get a good cup of wine. You might get a bad one. So here's this man of faith, this man of God, in a job that's dangerous. But the, there was a benefit to this job, though. Over time, usually what happened is the king learns to trust this cupbearer. I mean, let's face it. When someone is willing to put their life down for yours, it kind of builds a natural bond there, doesn't it? And that's kind of what formed between a king and his cupbearer. And oftentimes the cupbearer would end up in a place where he was a counselor to the king and able to help the king process things just simply because the king trusted him. That didn't make the job any less dangerous. Now at the same time, we notice in verse 2 that um, Nehemiah is concerned because he is sad in the presence of the king. So he had a dangerous job, but also understand it was dangerous at this time period to show emotion in front of the king. It was a dangerous thing to be sad in the presence of an eastern king of this time period. At best, the king would look at you and just assume you're sad because he's terrible at his job. That, they, that you aren't provided for well enough in his kingdom and that you're unsatisfied with the way he's been leading. And unfortunately, in this time period, when a king felt that way, he didn't change his ways. He got rid of the person that didn't like his. So it was dangerous to be sad in front of the king. And that, that was it at its best. And if you, made the, if you made the king sad, and you were sad because of the way he ruled, I mean, 
it might as well be like drinking that bad cup of wine. It was not going to be a good outcome. At the same time, too, sadness in the king also they took to be a sign of betrayal. They figured you were hiding something, and usually the only thing that their minds could conclude was that you were plotting to kill them. And you were some, or part of some plot to help them do so. And kings did not have very much patience or time to deal with that at that time period. They didn't launch a grand jury or a deep investigation to uncover the truth. No, they just thought it was easier. Let's just whack everybody and move on with our lives. So Nehemiah goes to the king to do his job. And for whatever this reason, for whatever reason this time, whether it was Nehemiah by choice letting the king see it, or whether it was just his heart was so heavy and troubled that he couldn't hide it no more, he goes into the presence of Artaxerxes, and the king notices that he is sad. And even scarier yet, the king looks at him and says, Why are you sad? If you're in Nehemiah's shoe, this is a terrifying question. You see, the moment, so the question we are asking today is, what will it look like when God moves? Oftentimes, when God moves, danger surrounds the moment. Uncertainty, and there's a risk involved. But see, faith, true faith, trust that God's faithfulness is greater than the danger. That whatever lies at the other end, God will see them through. Continuing on. So Nehemiah is afraid. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Hold on, there's a spider on me. If I become Spider-Man tomorrow, we know why. But I, where was I? The king, the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my followers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So this moment is riddled with danger. He is sad in the king's presence. The king asked him the question, Why are you sad? But understand the longing of Nehemiah's heart. The hope he's been holding on to is that one day he would return to his home. And he would see that temple rebuilt. He would see the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. That was his hope. That was his prayer each and every night while he was in ex exile. And here he is, the king's cupbearer. And he, whether he makes the decision to show his emotion or he can't hide it no more, the king knows that he's sad and he realizes 
This is an opportunity. A door has opened for him to share with the king why he hurts and the desire of his heart. The man who had the power to take Nehemiah's life also had the power to allow him to fulfill the dream and the hope of his heart. He saw this as God opening the door for him. He saw this was an opportunity. And the only option his heart would let him do in that moment was to tell the truth. And to say what was really going on. Putting his very life on the line even more, he looks at the king and says, Why should my face not look sad when my city is in ruins? As he waited for that king to respond, as those words left his mouth, you, you can almost put yourself in Nehemiah's shoe and feel your heart pounding and the, the blood racing through your body. You're probably shaking a little bit because you're so afraid of what's going to happen next. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how he's going to respond. But you know you did the right thing and you said the right thing. And then the king speaks to him and says, what is it you want? Tell me, tell me, Nehemiah, what's really going on? And he's bold enough to say, well, I want, to, I want you to notice that he doesn't just open his mouth and start speaking. Nehemiah realizes that it's not by his own will that this is happening. It's not an accident. It's not luck having its day with him. No, this was a moment of God's grace at work. Grace had led him to this point, and without grace, without God helping him answer it, he was not going to answer it correctly. So, so what's Nehemiah do? He stops and he prays. And, and this isn't one of those prayers where he long draws out and says, God, what do I do here? It's not a God, give me a sign. Turn the king into a, into a platypus, and I'll, I'll trust you in this moment. That's not what he prays, is it? It doesn't even tell us the words. It, I, I'm willing to bet it was a, one of those quick, off-the-hip prayers saying, God, you led me here, and I need you to give me the words to say. And that was it. And then he, then, then he really takes a step here. He really takes a step, a step. If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city. He's bold enough. His faith in God is, is enough for him to trust and ask that bold question. And then his faith is met with, it, it, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. The king heard him. The king not only heard him, but granted his request. Verses 7 and 8. It said, Also, I said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. 
And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the cities of the oh wow, the gates of the citadel, by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. When when Nehemiah's heart realizes when when it steps out into the faith and it, it, it's and it's met with God's faithfulness and blessing in the moment. It emboldens him to continue asking. I want to point out something to you. I think Nehemiah had this plan in mind for a long time. I think he had researched it. You don't know all those fine details unless you spend some time working on it and trying to figure it out. Okay, this is what I'm going to need to make this happen. He knew names. He knew places. He knew what it exactly was he needed. He also knew, just like it would take the king's permission for him to go back and rebuild the city, it would take the king's permission for him to get the supplies and the safe passage he needed. But because God, he, he, his faith was met with God's faithfulness and God's blessing, he was, he was emboldened to take the next step and say, King, I, I need these things from you. I need you to grant me these things. You see, Nehemiah, he had the faith to see the opportunity at work. He realized the king taking notice of his status. Yes, it was riddled with danger. Yes, it probably scared him to death. But he saw the opportunity. And he had enough faith and trust in God to take a step and trust him. And to lay a hold what was before him. And I love how it, it, verse 8 ends. It says, And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. Nehemiah recognized that even though he had the faith and the trust in God to ask the question, that this work, this movement of God had nothing to do with him. It wasn't through his own determination and willpower. No, it was the grace of God at work in him and opening his eyes to see the moment. It was the grace of God at work that allowed him to see what was happening. It was the grace of God that gave him the boldness to ask the question that he needed to. And it was the grace of God that carried him through. It was all because of God's amazing grace. What will it look like when God moves? It'll, it'll be a situation surrounded with danger. There'll be a risk involved. But the instruments of God have enough faith to trust in the master's ability. That he, his, he will see them through to the outcome. They'll trust God enough to take that risk. To take that step into the, into the unknown, into the wild. Knowing even though they have no clue what's going to happen, no clue of how it's all going to come together, they trust and they know that God will see them through.
because his grace is sufficient. You see, it wasn't faith. Our faith does not make God move. God is God. God is the maker of heaven and earth. God is the Alpha and the Omega. God is always on the move. He always has been on the move. You read Genesis 1, chapter, or, or chapter 1, verses 2, I think it is. It says, And the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. God was moving even before He created everything. No, faith, our faith. Faith in Him just gives us the eyes to see what He's up to and what God's doing. And at times we can't see what's happening. It strengthens our hearts so we can trust Him and know that our God who is good has a good plan for us and it'll work out for the glory of His name. I came across a quote as I was preparing yesterday. And it's from the great reform, uh, reformer Martin Luther. Does everybody know who Martin Luther is? Back in the middle evil times, the Catholic Church was, was selling indulgences. And basically what that said was, you had to, if you wanted your sins forgiven, you had to go to the priest and you had to pay some money. There was a lot of other things that weren't of God going on at that time. And Martin Luther had the boldness to step up and say, No, that's not how it works. You're saved by faith. You're justified by faith in Christ. Of course, you can imagine this made him a very unpopular person. Very unpopular. To the point where they wanted to burn him at the stake. They wanted to catch him and string him up and make an example out of him. But this is, this is his quote about faith. He says, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It is so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. His faith was so great, so powerful, so sure of what he believed in God, so so convinced by the grace of God and the power of God that he was willing to go to that stake a thousand times if it was necessary for the glory of God's name. He knew it was a plan that God had worked together for his good. And he was going to trust him each and every step of the way. That's what, what it looks like when God moves. When God moves, it's, it's his servants, it's his instruments recognizing that he does indeed have the power, that he indeed does love them, that he does have the grace to transform and rescue them. His spirit can indeed empower them and work the impossible through them in the lives of the world around them. Yes, it's a situation riddled with danger. And there's plenty of reasons to be afraid Yes, there's a risk involved. 
I'm reminded of what happens after the story of the rich young ruler. Do we know the story of the rich young ruler? He's a man that comes to Jesus and he says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, follow the Ten Commandments. And that rich young ruler is like, oh, yeah. Well, guess what, Jesus? I've done that. I, you can check that those boxes off. I've followed all ten of those commandments. And Jesus looks at him, remember, and says, there's still one thing you lack. Go sell everything that you own and follow me. This is a bunny trail. But just so you know, in the new, we talk about tithing in the church and tithing being 10%. Well, understand that 10%, that tithing, is an Old Testament concept, an idea that's carried over to our practices today. So you might be saying, well, pastor, don't we live in the New Testament and the New Covenant? Well, yes. And if you want to sign up for their giving plan, I want you to understand what that is. The New Testament giving plan is that you give everything. So if, you, if, you, if you're struggling with that 10%, weigh the options. 10% or everything that I have. That was a bunny trail. That's free. Okay. No, faith. Faith is us having enough trust in God to look at those risks, but to see how great of an opportunity is. To see the moment that we're in and to be able to step up and say, this is it, God. This is, this is what I've been dreaming of. This is the hope I've been waiting for, and here it is right before me. And I'm going to trust that it's you who's placed it here. I'm going to trust that I step out into the unknown. To walk out to where you are. And know that you're there waiting for me when I get there. No matter what it costs. No matter what the outcome is. God, I I'm trusting you and I'm stepping forth into faith. Friend, that's where our heart and our mind need to meet. Our heart and our mind need to meet in that faith. That faith in God that is unmovable. That faith that's in God that has peace no matter what comes our way. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have any fear. But it means that God's love, His perfect love at work in you, is greater than anything that you're afraid of. That you understand that this God who's calling you, and asking you to take this step of faith and boldness is not going to leave you to do it alone. But His Spirit is inside of you and is going to go with you. It's going to help you to take that step. It's going to help you each and every step of the way. It's a heart and a mind that is completely surrendered to faith in Jesus. And the Jesus who died on the cross to save you. And whose, and whose blood washed away all of your sins. Whose blood has the power to, to help you to not have to sin anymore. To not have to make the same choices you used to make. And the same Jesus that can do that. Can see you through the darkest moments of your life. He can see you through any storm and trial. And he can get you through to that hope of your heart. But you have to have the eyes to see it. You have to have a willingness, not only to have the eyes to see it, but the, the boldness to step forth 
into his promises, into the faith that is in him. Church, if we're to be that city on the hill God's calling us to be, if we're to be God's instruments in this community of Greensburg, it's going to take that kind of faith. It's going to take that kind of faith for me as your pastor to see the risk, to see the danger involved, but have the boldness, enough trust in God to say, you know what, God, I, I don't know that this is going to work, but you do, and I trust you. It's going to take that kind of faith in your church board that for them to see that, you know what, God, you've, you've got us this far. You've carried us this far for 35 years, and you're going to see us through to year 36. And we're going to trust you. It's going to take the faith of each and every one of us here today to step out and say, God, help me to see the opportunity right before me. Church, we're praying and we're asking God to send a revival. You, you, you won't find one church this morning that will say they're not asking God for that. But church, if we want that to happen, if we want the revival fires to start in this land again, if we want to be a part of the, great, the third great awakening in this nation, it's going to take us having that faith to step out and to seize the opportunities that God places before us. It doesn't matter what kind of programs our church establishes. It doesn't matter what kind of kids program or VBS we put out. If we do not have that type of faith, then we will miss all the things that God has in store for us. Church, do we believe and trust in God enough today? Do we have that kind of faith? Now we're going to close out in the song, and Barry and Jeremy are going to come. And today, if, if God's been speaking to you and you want to talk to him, because maybe your faith's been struggling. Maybe you haven't been able to trust him and you need to talk to him today and you would like someone to pray for you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take a step from your car. I want you to either stand in front of it or behind it so I can see it. And I will come and pray with you today as Barry and Jimmy come and lead us in this song.